feet on the ground, your head in the stars, and stay in the light. Welcome to the Science of Light. I'm your host, Rosemary. On today's episode, we have our very first interview. I interview my brother about some financial wellness topics and how the Myers-Briggs kind of relates to astrology and is very analogous to my approach to astrology. We kind of touch on that in the beginning and get back to it in the end. I really wanted to get to the financial wellness parts because he's just a wealth of information about that and it's important, especially for entrepreneurs or for anybody really, it's good information. Um, So you'll hear when the interview starts, I introduce him a little more. But I just want to say full disclosure, I'm still working through technical difficulties, so bear with me on the sound on this one. I'm working out the kinks. Um, I have some other cool interview guests lined up, and my brother graciously gave me his time so that I could practice a little bit with the interview recording software that I'm using. But so just full disclosure, my internet connections at my house is really bad, I hope to have that worked out in the future, but sometimes throughout this episode, you'll hear some little crackles in my voice. You might even actually hear my toddler running around in the background, making little screams of joy, having fun playing with my mom because she was watching him while I interviewed my brother. So you just might hear that stuff, but it's a wealth of information. I hope you bear with me while I work through these technical difficulties. Also, sometimes my my volume was weird. I don't know. So sometimes my voice will be quiet. Just warning you, don't turn up your volume because then Cecil, my brother's voice will be loud. So sorry, it's a thing for this episode and I'm learning and I hope you'll bear with me while I learn. All right. Thanks for joining me. Here we go. Today, my brother Cecil is being a generous guest, first guest on our show, so I can figure out technical difficulties on my end. Um, He is an engineer. He is going through his master's in business administration right now, his MBA, and we are about a year apart, so we've always been pretty close, and so he's got some insights. Um, He's an astrology skeptic, and we like to talk smack to each other sometimes about it. So today we're going to talk to Cecil about how uh, um, Myers-Briggs is like the astrology for people with LinkedIn profiles. Cecil has a LinkedIn profile. You think I should use one too, don't you? Uh, Yeah, everybody who's who's doing things um, that could be defined as a career should have a LinkedIn profile. If you believe in social media, if you have any social media, and you have a career path, you should have a LinkedIn. It's just the way of the yeah, 21st century. See, here's the thing, though. Maybe, I don't know, maybe the people that I'm after don't use LinkedIn in that way. Or, I don't know. I'm a big proponent of putting your energy on the things that give you the biggest value added. And I think we'll talk about this a little bit more. When, like, so when we talk about some financial wellness stuff, we'll talk about um, the like net present value. I guess LinkedIn doesn't have a high net present value for me right now, but I have one. Um, I guess that's a money term, but I, I'm co-opted. sure if we're talking uh, money terms, I'd say it might not have a very high net present value, but it's a very low investment. True, but it's an investment of time. So I could probably build out and spend more time uh, networking on there, but I just network in other ways. I don't know. Makes sense. I I'm not going to push it on you hard. But I don't. Yeah, I have one though, because you told me I should. And so I do. Um, so you're an ENTP. What does that mean? Um, I, you know, I haven't done this test in a long time. And I think, you know, if you were to only do this test once, it wouldn't be very accurate. And um, I think the Myers Briggs, what I know about it, it, um, it 
tries to combat your own biases and beliefs about yourself with some, um, with the way that it's written. Right. And so, you know, I don't think anybody would challenge me if I thought I was extroverted and said that. Uh, but at the same time, I might think I'm a lot more extroverted than I actually am. Right. And that the results of that personal bias might be reflected, uh, in this study. But I will say that I have done the Myers-Briggs several times. I think the first time I had, I, I did it, our, uh, beloved teacher in high school, um, Mr. McNulty, uh, had us fill it out in my physics class and I was an ENTP then. And years later I did it again for an assignment when I was at uh, Wake Tech working on my associates. I, I was an ENTP then years later, again, I had to do it at NC state, um, during the same class that, uh, made me set up my LinkedIn profile. Um, and I was an ENTP then, so I do believe that I'm an ENTP. And when I read through it, uh, at least the um, you might you might compare what I'm reading through to a horoscope. But when I read through the notes and um, uh, general generalizing um, text on on what it means to have an ENT per, ENTP personality, I do find that it's pretty accurate uh, to my personality. Okay, so I read through that a little bit. I was like making some notes around what I thought could compare to Vedic astrology birth chart. So we've talked about this before, how you're like, you think it's a bunch of woo stuff that um, just because the sun was in the con- made up constellation of Capricorn when you were born, which it actually wasn't, by the way. Okay. Um, Sagittarius, it because so that's one first first take against the sun signs kind of Western horoscopes is they don't even use astronomically accurate um, uh, information. And so you and other astrology uh, skeptics might be glad to know that. But then, so it's like, what does that have anything to do with how the personality I have and how that shakes out, you know? And so with there, it uh, doesn't necessarily, it's, it's much more complex than that. And so, um, I think it has a little bit more to do with like cycle. For me, I study it in a way of like cycles. Um, there's natural patterns and rhythms and cycles, and it's just general enough that you can kind of like use it as a framework to decide, does this resonate with you or not? And get talking more about it. But so some features of the, of like ENTP. So I think that intuitive, along with thinking and perceiving that means like um that you're very logical right is there like what more from that i i i don't know let's see uh so you have four letters right and you're either one or the other for these four letters right it's e n t p uh is mine and there's i and then i i can't remember there's a j um there's an S. I'm INFJ, so that's like almost all of the opposite. Yeah, right. I don't all know right. What the opposite um, is. But the opposite of intuitive here is observant. Okay, so um, oh. let me just read this through through here. Our second personality scale includes the intuitive and observant styles. These traits describe what people are more likely to do with the information gathered from the world around them. Intuitive personality types rely on imaging the past and future potential of what they see. Those with the observant style are more interested in observable facts and more straightforward outcomes. They prefer to avoid layering too much interpretation on what they see. So, you know, you might say, well, that isn't what you'd expect from a logical engineer, right? Which is how you might define me. Um, You would think, oh, surely he's observant. That's the S. Okay, why observant is S and not O, I don't know. But um, yeah, and again, I'm not putting a whole lot of thought into that, but I keep taking the test and I keep coming back ENTP, so I believe it. Yeah, totally. It's interesting how that works. I don't know. I didn't actually want to spend too much on that because I know you have limited time and limited interest in learning exactly how that compares to your birth chart. But for people who might be listening that might be more interested, 
I can go into more of that later. Um, I want to talk about how, so you do this thing that's, that you call it bulking season and shreddy spaghetti season or shreddy. That's right. Can you say a little bit more about that? I can say a lot about that. Um, yeah. So a lot of people, you know, they want to get in shape for the summer. They got to get their beach bod ready. Right. And so they start getting in shape around the spring. And I don't remember where, um, my, and a lot of people want to bulk, right. They, especially young men, they want to pack on as much muscle as possible. Right. Uh, that's not what this is about. I have no interest in packing or at least very low interest in packing on muscle during what I call my bulking season. I really totally eat like a slob. I just, I'll eat whatever I want. Um, I'll drink a lot of beer. Um, I just do whatever. And I, 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 I guess I do it because I want to splurge a little bit and have like a more of a, less disciplined time of the year and it fits because you're going through the holidays right you go through my favorite holiday halloween you go through uh uh thanksgiving with family and christmas and new years and there's a lot of of uh eating and beer drinking involved with that uh traditionally and culturally so in the u.s so um so for my bulking season it's just that but then i i if i don't rein myself in and have a cutting season, then I'm just going to be fat. I'm going to end up fat. And so I have to uh, kind of be a little bit of an extremist where I'm going to allow myself to do whatever I want during this bulking season, because then I'm going to be an extremist in the cutting season and be very disciplined and drop down that weight and really uh, get back to a, a more healthy lifestyle where I'll run and bike ride and, and swim and start to feel better and uh, track, track my heart rate and make sure that my resting heart rates, you know, back down in the very low, um, uh, beats per minute where I like it to, to live during summer. Start and end for you. Well, so my birthday is, as you know, is January 6th. And so cutting season starts, uh, January 7th. And so I've just started my, my cutting okay. season and cutting I, season. what's that? That makes sense. Didn't this, and I get a lot more serious once it starts to warm up outside. I get a lot more serious with the, with the cutting season um, because then I can go out and I can run and the sun's up longer. And so I can work out in the yard later in the evenings um, if I don't have too much work or homework to do. Um, I can play with, with uh, Kayla. That's my daughter for anybody else listening to the call in the future. I can play with her longer in the evenings. And so just naturally I use more calories in the spring and summer. And so, yeah, I get down to, you know, a ridiculously low uh, body fat percentage is my goal, not weight. I really don't care so much about weight. You know, that's kind of how you end up with an eating disorder, in my opinion. I'm not interested in, in what I weigh. I'm interested in my body fat percentage. Um, so I want to drop that body fat percentage down to single digits um, to, by the end of the um, cutting season. And once I'm comfortable to the point where I, I'm, I believe that my body fat percentage is, is around 10 or less percent, then, you know, after that it's, it's back to eating like a slob. Cause I want to, right. But I've reined myself in and I, I like for my, um, resting heart rate to be below 50 if I can. And I know that's very low, but, uh, I'm a runner and a, and a, I've gotten into biking recently. And, um, so it's, it's very achievable. And so I, I'm not going to with the resting heart rate. Do you notice that carries over throughout the bulking season when you get it to where you want it? You see lasting effects from that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so. I think I breathe a lot better. Um, I know those two are mm-hmm. surely related somehow cardiovascular health and, and respiratory w- wellness, I guess you might call it. And, but the, you know, the more cardiovascular activities I do, uh, the better I breathe, you know, I don't snore when I'm at the end of cutting season. I snore like a freaking fat man at the end of bulking season. I I don't, I, and I'm sure that the two are related. Interesting. Well, they do respiratory health sometimes. So that's a very, um, I'll probably to this in other, I don't want to take up too much talking about it, but there, 
principle in yoga philosophy and Ayurveda about. So right now in January, actually, we enter Kapha season, which you think about the dead of winter, like everything's dead, everything's retreated to the earth. It's very heavy. It's very dark. And um, the balance that would some this stuff that you're actually already intuitively doing. So I find that like super interesting. So you tend towards being analytical and rational and, but what you intuitively do lines up with what this kind of. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. There's a topic I'd like to just briefly bring up on that note. Can you hear me? Sorry to interject there. Um, You're just a little bit fuzzy. I don't know. Um, hopefully you're, I'm clear on your end, but anyway, uh, there's this, uh, term that I've recently started hearing called seasonal depression and I'm a very happy person. Um, I think at least I, I, I definitely try to be, I try to be optimistic, uh, and, and joke a lot about everything and not get worked up about, um, all the stress that is in my life for one reason or another, but I have seasonal depression for sure. Like when it's, when it gets dark at, 5 30 it's 6 11 p.m now um and it's already totally dark outside you can't do anything and it's you know it's cold and you know i can bundle up and be warm uh especially when i put on a lot of weight uh you know my weight will fluctuate uh 20 pounds which is more than 10 percent of my body weight uh, at any given time it'll fluctuate um you know 10 percent every year and so that makes me warmer in the winter and it doesn't matter if i put on more clothes i'm just less happy when it's cold and dark outside all the time for sure. But something about bulking, I think makes me happier. And I'm sure there's a lot that we don't understand scientifically about the relationship between, um, you know, maybe, maybe mental health and happiness and what you eat. Like, right. You know, you, you probably, you get a little hit of dopamine, um, when you eat sugar, right. Uh, or when you, maybe when you eat a lot of carbohydrates, I don't know, but is that sustainable? Like, does that also like, like, are you going to continue to make as much serotonin in the long run if you keep eating sugar? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question, but I think when I eat like a fatty for several months or a year, I, I think it, it's like a coping mechanism, if you will. Hey, if it works. Yeah. But you got to get rid of that eventually, or you start to feel bad, right? If you continue to gain weight. Um, and you get, get slower. And especially as you get older, your joints start to hurt as you're carrying more weight. You don't breathe as well. Um, your heart's not pumping uh, blood and, and nutrients as, as efficiently as effectively. Um, that, that's got to also weigh uh, long-term on your physical health and wellness, um, which is hence the cutting season, right? You got to get back to the baseline. Lines with Ayurveda very well and that's all i'll say about that because i want to touch on another thing very well with yoga when we were like i don't know roof of our house recently detachment is key so can you what it means to you and maybe where you got it from sure yeah um yeah i don't know anytime somebody's like overwhelmed with something in their life uh or uh you know really stressed out about something really angry about something you have these negative emotions um you really have to be able to separate yourself from the situation that you're in and kind of look at it from above right So when I say detachment is key, what I mean is that you need to detach yourself from whatever it is that might lead to your unhappiness. Like that doesn't mean ignore it and procrastinate. Actually, I'm very against that. That's going to make it worse, right? But just like handle it, but remove your emotions from the situations that are are causing you to, to feel bad. I know that's a really broad answer. Um, but that's, that's part of why I like saying detachment is key because it's very broad. It means something different to you than it means to me. And it's, um, uh, just a little bit deep enough to where, you know, if you do fixate on that phrase, then whatever, I think you will, de- you will derive from that phrase, whatever message you need to hear. 
about whatever situation is going on in your life that might cause you stress. Like, so for me, I've got all kinds of things uh, that stress me out, some of which I won't say publicly, but like, uh, you know, working full time and, you know, being a single father and, um, you know, going to business school at the same time, it has uh, contributed a lot of stress to my life. Right. So sometimes I just have to sit back, like just drink a little bit of coffee and like detach myself from everything that's going on for like five minutes and uh, then get back at it. Right. It, let's say I have a group project in uh, business school. Everybody hates group projects. Right. But we live in a group project world and um, somebody's really dropping the ball. Right. And if I spend time and um, emotional energy getting upset about them not doing their part, that is going to rob me in one way or another, for sure. So de- like detachment is key there. Totally. Right. If you're really upset about. Because you already have to do extra work. What's that? You might as well not be upset about it. You're very you quiet on my end right now. You already have to do extra work. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> you already have to do extra work. Oh, yeah. Let me. I had to get closer to the microphone, I guess. Oops. Great. Okay. Um, I hear you clearly. You already have now. to do extra work. Being upset about it is only going to make it harder. Yeah. That's just uh, one example. Nice. Love it. Because. Okay. So the reason I bring that up is I'm sure you know the book. You've at least heard of the book, the Bhagavad Gita. Sure. Yeah. Um, Kyle was really into it. So, yeah. Um, training require it for the most basic level of, of yoga. And that's where I first read it was for my yoga training. And that's, uh, so it's a story, um, like war and it's a story. And, um, Krishna, like the deity, the God and having a conversation and that's how it's, but the biggest overarching theme that I get from it is, detachment is key it's this idea that you have to put in the big thing is really that is detachment from in your work you live your life you do your path be so attached to um like getting a certain thing from it or you know what i mean that's more study like attachment i could some summarize attachment is key very interesting. Okay. Yeah. One thing, um, that where I found comparison in, um, I know yoga, maybe correct me if I'm wrong. I shouldn't say I know this. I think that yoga is largely derived from a Hindi practice, right? And closely related to Hinduism, or I should say derived from Hinduism is Buddhism. And this story about Buddha who was, uh, who, whose actual name was Siddhartha Gautama, right? And um, I think I pronounced that correctly. And Siddhartha Gautama, I guess, uh, uh, eventually arrived at some some basic principles. I don't remember. Maybe there was four or seven principles. Um, but like w- the general takeaway that I had from those principles was suffering exists. You can't avoid suffering. Suffering will happen. You should accept suffering, right? And if you are accepting like whatever it is that's suffering, I don't know. Um, uh, that's almost too pessimistic a, 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 an outlook for me. But if you should accept suffering, okay, well, then you should detach yourself from that suffering, right? So I was just say detachment is key. And when I say that, I guess what I mean is is the key to being happy and, and being satisfied with life. Totally. Well, that's... I elaborate on that because that's part i have this little tagline for this podcast because it's called the science of light i say this to stay in the light and i want to be very clear about that that i don't mean that only good things happen or you should only have good emotions it's kind of like what you just elaborated on with like bad things are gonna happen but you have to stay in the solution for that right um so if it the other day we were talking about, I came to you for financial advice for my, okay. um, not official to be my, uh, unofficial financial advice because you have studied this a lot on your own, uh, all the, and are now studying it in business school, I suppose. Um, so some of the things we were talking about was, I feel very pressured to have a retirement fund, um, like an IRA or a 401k, but I don't big girl job so i don't have a 401k i don't have an 
that through okay. employer. Um, so being self-employed, I was like, I need to have an IRA. That's what everybody tells me, right? But you validated that don't. So can you speak on um, the we were talking about you um, to invest and um, sure. Yeah, absolutely. I'm first off, I'll say I'm not um, qualified to be a financial advisor, but happy to share my 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 limited advice. Yeah. Um, okay, let's but, a disclaimer disclaimer that this isn't legal advice. <laughs> yeah, I'm not qualified to do that. And, <laughs> um, I think a retirement account a, is a, a great idea and, and everybody's going to have to retire eventually and you're going to have to have enough, enough capital or some type of investment to live on at some point in order to retire. That's the only way. So you're going to have to have that. But the, I guess the more specific question is, okay, what, what should that look like? That investment investment that you're going to be able to retire with, is that a 401k? Well, for a lot of Americans, that's the case. It's a 401k. 401k is great. Um, your money can grow, uh, and, and grow at, with compound interest tax-free for many, many years, many decades. So that's a, a, uh, a great advantage where even if your 401k doesn't grow as fast as, you know, maybe say the regular stock market would, or, um, you know, the, the growth in property value that you might've had if you invested in land um, or whatever other investment, not having to pay taxes on that money that goes into your 401k account um, and not not touching it, you know, not dipping into it when the market's down, you know, during um, recessions or, or or if a depression occurs during that time, the money's going to grow, uh, you know, faster than inflation, to be sure. It's and eventually it's going to be a great sum of money, and you can then live off of the growth of that money once you have a large enough sum. That's how you retire. Or you know, you, you dip into that money and you're pulling out more than just the growth. And eventually that money is going to d- diminish, but you imagine that might take 30 years and you're not planning on living another 30 years once you retire. Okay. That's an option, right. but that's how you're going to retire. So I will say you have to have some kind of investment, but the idea that you just need to start sticking money into an IRA now, uh, depending, no, just regardless of your personal situation, I think is a little bit silly and oversimplified. So you know, our, our grandfather, as you know, um, would always say, you know, if you start putting all that money back now, just imagine what it could be then because of compound interest. And sure, that's true. Okay. But it's really easy for a 40 year old to look back and say, if I would have done this, I would have this much money now. Okay. If I would have bought Tesla one year ago today, you know, if I would have bought $10,000 worth of Tesla one year ago today, I could pay off my house now. The, the balance that I still owe on my house, I could pay off my mortgage. Okay. So that, it's not what saying, if I did this, this would have happened. is not a realistic, um, it's not realistic proof to say, okay, what you need to do, the best way to optimize your wealth is to have this retirement account. Okay. Because that's not certainly not true. Right. Imagine you could, you really have to look at it in terms of, of net worth growth percentages annually from my perspective. So what I mean by that is let's say you earn X dollars and you put Y dollars into your 401k or IRA or whatever this year. I don't know a lot about IRAs um, because I have 401k uh, and I don't need to know a lot about IRAs at this point in my life. So if I look at my 401k, it's a 401k for self-employed people. Sure. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Uh, So anyway, I put Y dollars into my 401k, right? So those dollars didn't have income tax, right? They came directly out of the gross pay that I made for my employer. My employer matches that, right? Most employers do have some some match. Um, That's great if they do. Uh, That's free money, basically, if they do. And you put that money into your 401k, they're paying you a larger salary or more wages um, if you're paid by wages. Uh, just for you investing in your retirement. And uh, it, I guess if you're a, an employer, a large employer that offers um, that, that uh, intends to be competitive, you have to have a 401k match. I mean, somebody's going to be upset coming from a company with a 5% uh, 
401k match and now you don't have one at this new company. That could be a deciding factor for um, some prospective employees. Um, so because at the end of the day, that's when they tally up how much they make at the end of the year. They're, they're smart. To, they're, they're not very clever if they're not including that 401k match uh, and whatever other benefits they receive right. and the total compensation when they tally that up. So anyway, with that being said, uh, you can put all this money in, get a, four, uh, get a match from your company, and then it grows um, tax-free and, and compounds annually. Great. That's awesome, right? So that 5% that they match, that's 5% on top of the money that you just stuck in right off the bat. That's 5% growth right there. Boom. 100% of the money that you put in also got put in. So really, if, you, if, if I take $500 out of my check and I stick it in my account and that's 5% or less of, of my check, which it's not, but um, it, that, I, I don't make that kind of money. We're just throwing numbers around. But um, right. if, you, if you were to stick $500 in, your employer is then going to stick $500 more in, right? So it, that immediately, that's 100% growth on your money right there. Boom. Uh, so that's big, right? Well, um, but you, it's also kind of, you just, your employer actually pays you a little bit more money if you're disciplined and putting money into your investment. That's a good thing. Um, so if it's tax free, boom, that's another, I don't know, whatever tax rate you would normally pay for income tax, right? So that, I don't know, let's say around maybe 25% is a fair number. So boom, 125% of your growth right on your money right there. All right. So it's great. So that's why people say like, uh, this is, of course, this is the right thing to do. This is what you should do. Well, if you have an IRA, is there any match for that? I doubt it, right? It's it's, um, self-driven, right? Am I correct? Do you know the answer to that? Right. Yeah. From my understanding, it's like the same thing. It's not through your employer. Not through your employer. But when you don't have an employer, when you are your own employer... Yeah. Correct. But it grows so, in the same way, which is the argument right. for having one. Sure. But then imagine this, right? Like, so, uh, you know, your husband uh, or soon to be husband is, um, is self-employed, right? Let's say he, um, is bidding a job, right? And he is bidding a really large job, right? And they're like, all right, we need it done by X date. Okay. And he can't do it by X date. He knows there's no freaking way he could do it by X date. Um, but it's a huge job and he knows that he could make a great deal of money if he could possibly get it done by that date. If there was a scenario where he could spend an extra $500 on a tool to get that job done by that date, okay? And um, uh, and I, I, this is maybe oversimplifying the scenario, but if he could, and let's say he made... An, an additional $5,000 for that time that was saved by that new tool, right? $5,000 for, I don't know what I said earlier, a thousand dollar tool. That's a, that's a 400% gain. You got paid back for your thousand and then you got another $4,000 on top of that. Right. And that's, and I said $5,000 yeah. more than you would have made during that time that the tool saves you. There are scenarios where that's the case when you're self-employed. Right. I know that's an oversimplified situation, right. but in that scenario, right, you you didn't get you didn't get a a four hundred percent growth on your investment annually. You got it in what a week, two weeks, however long it took you to do the job. Right. Okay. There's no yeah. freaking investment that you could possibly make that you can expect to see any kind of return like that. On, on the stock market and uh, bonds, certainly not bonds, and, um, and you know, buying properties, even f- like flipping properties, super risky. It's not always, uh, you can't always liquidate them as fast as you can. There's unexpected expenses. I mean, um, it, it, you cannot rely on that kind of growth on your money elsewhere. But you can, if you, especially if you have a small company. If you have a small company, um, it, you know, a, a, a small, maybe when, what I mean by small is probably like less than 50 employees. So if you have a manageable, um, size company where one person can kind of understand all of the operations, once you get more than 50 employees, anybody's lying to you if they say they really know everything that's going on in their company at that point, unless it's very simple and standard. Right. Um, and everybody's doing the same tasks below them. Um, uh, 
but I, I can see you again. Uh, your video is back here. But anyway, with that being said, uh, so it, it wouldn't really make sense, right? Because if you guys then took that money and didn't just waste it and saved that money, okay, for the next big tool that you bought to grow your business, then actually your net worth annually would be growing way faster than it would in an IRA or 401k. Now, it's just a matter of being disciplined enough to do that. Let's say you buy property right now, right? You buy a big, giant farmland, and you're able to make that farmland make you money in some way. How? I don't know. Maybe you're growing food and selling it in a local farmer's market. Maybe you, are, maybe you get a tax deduction because you're, you have farm status on uh, you know, a load of acres that you bought somewhere in the middle of nowhere for a very competitive rate per, per land, um, and you don't need to commute to the city very often. And, you know, maybe you're renting a large pasture that you've, that you've fenced in uh, in a very cost-effective way to somebody to put cattle or horses on that land, right? And, uh, you know, maybe you found a way to make that land make you money. And now you're paying into equity rather than paying rent to somewhere else. It's one of the best ways to grow your wealth. Well, your investment, your retirement account is your property, right? Eventually you downsize years down the road. Um, the suburbs have sprawled into that area where you live and you sell it to a developer, um, for oogles of money. And, um, that is your retirement account. And what happens when you take a mortgage out is you owe the bank, you know, X dollars a month for, you know, Y months, you know, okay. You owe some, some payment principal plus interest. Uh, and then on top of that, you know, whatever homeowners insurance you have, you owe some sum of money every month for, I don't know. I, you know, I signed up for a 30 year mortgage because I believe that, um, the net present value of my money is way more important. So I don't care if I pay way more interest way down the road. Um, if I'm disciplined enough, I can pay that off sooner if I want to. I'm not worried about it. Right. So, you know, with that being said, there's all kinds of ways that you can hypothetically grow your money much faster even without the tax deductions, right? Even having the taxes come out of your money and you're still investing your money, but you're investing it in today if you're self-employed. When I was in college and how this, how this opinion started, um, if, if I would have taken this sum of money, this small sum of money, a couple thousand dollars, you know, relatively small sum of money for business and put it in anything, you know, unless I was smart enough to just know that Bitcoin was about to explode at that point, um, if I would have put it in virtually anything, it would have grown uh, at some reasonable rate. Let's say if I was really smart and I just stuck it in something like, I don't know, if, let's say I was, I was not very risky but wanted it to grow. I stuck it in S&P 500 and it grew 15% a year or something like that, max. Um, right. Then that would not have compared to what I did do, as you know, and buy a bunch of tools and go out um, self-employed and start doing my own jobs and uh, quit making minimum wage at a gas station, you know, working 40, 14 hours Saturday, 14 hours Sunday. Um, quit doing that. I worked way less, was able to focus on my homework and made way more just by buying those tools. I don't know what the ROI, uh, return on investment for anybody who's not familiar with business terms, but I don't know what the ROI was on those tools, but it must have been in the thousands of percent annually. I mean, it, just buying those tools was the best thing ever. And of course I put my time and labor into it. So I didn't just buy the tools and make a bunch of, and have a great income after that for a college student, but it opened up that opportunity to increase the right. value of my time from, you know, I don't know, uh, after, after taxes, probably five ish dollars an hour to after taxes, probably, you know, 25 ish dollars an hour. Boom. Just like that just by buying those tools. So, you know, I'm well, sorry, that's such a long feel. And again, I'm not a financial investor, but if there's a way that you can grow your own money um, by yourself uh, with just day-to-day -day operations, if you're a small business owner, if there's a way to invest in yourself today, that is way, way more valuable, in my opinion, than sticking it in an account that just because the account can grow tax-free. That's something that people say when they already have a lot of money and they don't, they don't have enough time to make those quick day-to-day -day actions. You know, you can't just invest in some tools real quick and, and grow your business at the same percentage once you already have 50 employees, right? You can't buy 
50 more employees tools over the next few weeks and get 50 more employees working effectively without some hiccups by yourself. You can't do one man. Can't just, I'm sorry. You can't do that. I don't, I, I know we believe in heroes in America right. and individualism, but people, yeah. it, it would require a large team of people. You'd have way more overhead. You'd have way more things to oversee. You'd have less time to give each individual employee. Right. So once you have a much larger, you know, so, and that's why you don't see many companies actually growing at the kind of rates that you can see small companies. Uh, that's maybe again, I'll probably oversimplifying that a little bit, but you know, if you had dollars to invest and you're a small business owner, I guess if you're thinking about an IRA now, it, it just may not make sense. Once you already have a certain amount of capital built up, sure. You know, you can't probably expect to grow. If you've got $200,000 in today's money, uh, today's money's value sitting in a bank account somewhere, I don't suspect that you'll be able to grow that money by 100% over the next year. If you can, that's amazing. But I don't expect that you could. Right. But if you had you know, $40,000 laying around an account, yeah, I think it, you might, that might be the threshold where I'd feel comfortable trying to invest that money on my own and grow it on my own rather than just handing it to especially not handing it to a financial advisor who you know, is going to charge you some rate on top of that. And if they don't grow um, that money at the market rate of growth, um, plus the percent that they're charging you in fees and whatever for their services, then you didn't come out ahead. So, and if you just stuck it in. So I think that that's all speaking to the value uh, or basically the idea that we're kind of sold, or at least I feel like I've been sold that the path is to have a retirement account. And if you want to grow your money, you invest in the stock market, but you've just given a lot of other options of ways that you can invest and grow your money that aren't kind of this like ideas that we've been sold. In our age group at our wealth level. Yeah. Yeah. I mean like, again, like if you're like a, uh, 45, 50 ish year old, and you're, you know, half of the way through your career and you have a fair amount of capital saved up, then you may decide that you're going to grow your money in the market just as fast as you could grow your money outside the market. Yeah. But I don't think that makes sense at our, at our age. I really don't, you know, and if, and if you're like, you know, working for the man, um, like I am, you know, which is okay. I'm very happy with, with my current employment. But, um, if you're like working for the man, like I'm not going to spend, you know, thousands of dollars on capital for my company, right? No, I mean, who would do that? Like I might do that because I might expect that it would give me a bargaining chip for compensation and one form or another later, but I might not do that. Right. Cause I can't expect that. And my, I think my company would be upset if I spent a whole bunch of money on something I thought that I needed um, if they thought that I needed it to do my job, then I would spend it with company money and expense it. And that would be fine. Right. But then the company would own it. Okay. So that, I'm not in the same situation that like your fiance is right. Or, and therefore, so you are right. So I, you know, for me, I'm happy. I've got, I've got money in the stock market. I've got money in 401k. It makes sense for me. It did not make sense for me a few years ago. It would not have made sense for me at all. I had the money in the mutual. There wasn't much money, but I had it in a mutual fund. And I'm looking at the growth of the mutual fund. And I'm like, you know what? This is ridiculous. Like, this is growing so slow. I know that if I took this $2,000 and bought a bunch of tools, that I'd make that $2,000 back fast. And I did. And there was, it, was, it was very easy. I mean, like, well, geez, man. Like, I see, and I'm looking on Craigslist gigs at the time for jobs. I'm like, man, if I just had, like, a truck and trailer, I could knock that out. There's two grand right there. It pays itself off immediately. You know? When you're dealing with smaller sums of money, it's 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 a lot easier to double the money, right? So, I guess that's my spiel. Like when you're starting out, um, I I don't know if the IRA account makes sense. Of course, if you never do anything that is going to save money, you're not going to retire, right. right? So what I'm saying is, there's just other ways to grow your net wealth because that's what you're doing with a retirement account. You're just growing your net wealth until eventually your net wealth is to the extent that you, you what the money left over at the end of the year after your expenses, hopefully you've paid off your cars and, and your house and whatever else, the money that you have left over at the end of every year, okay, uh, is large enough that you can live on that money. And that is 
pulling money out of an account, right? So once you have an account, it's easy. That money grows. Let's say it grows 10% this year. Uh, if you have enough money, 10% of enough money is enough to live on, right? Right. So, you know, that's what, yeah, that's why the retirement account makes sense. Um, so, yeah. you know, and, and if you buy up enough land, eventually that land is so valuable that you can sell it, downsize, live off the growth of that money once you've stuck that money in, into an account. So there's plenty of other ways. It doesn't have to be a 401k or an IRA. You could leave all of your money in the stock market. I mean, if you didn't put the money into, if you were just going to grow your money in the stock market, it wouldn't make any sense not to have an IRA or a 401k, right? Because you can just do the same thing. That money's also going to be in accounts, right? On the publicly traded market. Only you can grow it tax-free if it's set, if it, if it's clearly a retirement account. So that's where it begins to make sense. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so the only reason that, I don't put all of my money into all of my extra money into a 401k is because I might want to grab it faster than if it were in my 401k. Right. I want it. I want that money to be more liquid. So again, I'm not a financial investor. That's really almost the extent of my knowledge in terms of, uh, you know, strategy for retirement. And that perspective may change dramatically well, as our economy changes dramatically over the next decade, you know, but in today's, in yeah. my current situation, in today's economy, I, that's what I think makes sense for, for me. And then as well for you, people in, and you and Scott's situation. Right. Yeah. And you arrived at that learning all that through your own switching kind of from being self-employed to not being self-employed. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. right on. I think that's a lot of helpful, helpful stuff. So thanks for taking time to explain some financial wellness stuff that I hope it, it validates for me. And that's why I wanted you to say, wanted to get you to say it again, that other people can hear because, uh, the audience I'm kind of trying to speak to are people that might be self-employed. And I feel like I've been pushed this narrative that you have to build a retirement account soon, like ASAP that I've had several people tell me that. And I'm like, I'll do it by the time I'm 30. So I got three years and I'll do it. But right now it doesn't make sense to be sticking my money, like you said, into an account that's not liquidable that I can't use to invest in myself or our family's business in the meantime. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I I hear a lot of people just to touch on that real quick before I know we've already beat this to death, but just to touch on that one more time, if a, you know, somebody who's in their early fifties, uh, says to you like, oh, you know, I wish when I was your age that, that you know, and I started hearing this when I was 20. I wish that when I was your age, when I was 20, that I would have put if X, you know, amount of money in the account every day. Uh, and, and boy, if I did, I'd have this much money today. And they'd done some quick math with, with a little uh, growth calculator to figure out, oh God, I'd have a Ferrari. Okay, but you didn't, right? You didn't do that. Maybe some of them did, and that's great. But a lot of them did not, and they're just saying, if I did, I've heard that a gajillion times. Um, if I did, this is what I'd have. But you didn't, right? You spent that money. You spent the money on something. What did you spend the money on? Did, are you saying that money didn't do contribute anything to your life? It didn't contribute happiness at the time? It didn't contribute uh, to your security at the time? You didn't invest that money in other ways that ended up growing your net wealth? Like That's what they're saying when they say that right? There's an opportunity cost there. If they had not have spent that money and put it in the account, how would their life be different today? Well, so hindsight's 2020. It's easy to say, if I would have done this, this would happen. Yeah. If I would have bought a bunch of Bitcoin, I'd be rich right now, but I did not. Right. I don't know. We can move on. That's just the point. Like it's, it's very easy to say that. Of course it's true. If I put a whole bunch of money into my retirement account right now. Yes. I'm going to have a lot of money in my retirement account when I want to retire. Guess what? I might get hit by a bus when I'm 60. Okay. So that, again, that might not be the, and I'm, that's not a take a stab at retirement accounts, right? I think retirement accounts are a good thing. Right. You want to be able to retire someday, but you know, it's, I guess it's silly to say that, well, this is just what people do. We've got to do it. There's no other way to grow your net worth faster as, as kind of the attitude. That's not true. Especially when your net worth is relatively lower. You can grow. I believe when your net worth is relatively lower, it's much easier to grow it more quickly. Right. Totally. 
Once, once you have your needs met and you have money left over at the end of the month, that's really the big challenge right now with all the income inequality that we have in the U.S. But once you have your needs met and you have a little bit of leftover money at the end of the month, what do you do with that money? Some people say stick it in a retirement account. When you've just started having that leftover money, which is kind of the point where I'm at now, I don't know. I mean, you might grow it faster some other way. Yep. All right. You want to dive on to another one or, or is that all that we were going to talk about? I don't think that we talked in depth about the relationship between, um, between uh, astrology and the Myers-Briggs. Okay. If you want to, if you have time, we can jump back into that. Sure. I'll give you another 10 minutes and then I really got a jet. Okay. Um, so did you know, okay, fun fact, you spent your whole life knowing, even though you're an astrology skeptic, that you're a Capricorn because you were born in January. You said this already. Um, you were born Correct. in Capricorn season under Western astrology, but what, uh, Vedic astrology, the system that comes from yoga that I've chosen to study, all right, it doesn't come from yoga. It comes from the same place that yoga does. Um, Vedic astrology is called Jyotish. It's what this podcast is named after. Um, it uses the sidereal zodiac system, which this is like the first good thing for it is that the sidereal zodiac system is accurate to a strong sun sign, which would be Capricorn, where the sun was, what constellation it was in, is Sagittarius. So that probably doesn't mean anything to you. You probably don't care. Um, <laughs> I'm with you. So can you say why you don't like astrology? Say why you don't like it. Or yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm not angry at astrology. Um, <laughs> I think that the way that people use astrology may bring value to their lives. Okay. It's, it can be fun. You know, there's, uh, you know, in the same way that I, I don't dislike um, Greek mythology right? They're great stories. People like great stories, you know? I, so am I, I'm not mad at, you know, Greek mythology and saying like, you know, these Greek gods didn't exist, you know? I, I don't care that they didn't exist. I don't think that's the point, right? So that's kind of how I look at astrology. But where I start to get irritated with astrology um, is when people start to dismiss their personal actions um, or the situations that are on them in life, they start to uh, cast that onto something astrological, right? I'm in this position because so-and-so is a Sagittarius, even though they're actually a Capricorn or whatever. Now, I just learned something new, so that's cool. I'm a Sagittarius. I was certain my whole life that I was a Capricorn. Um, uh, who knows? Maybe I'll look up a horoscope for Sagittarius and say, Wow. Oh my gosh. There's something to this. That's the problem. I've been reading the wrong horoscope all this time. Right. But I don't think so because no matter where the sun was, when I was born, that doesn't speak to anything about the genetics of my parents, nature, uh, the situation in which I was raised, nurture, or any of the things that I can understand how they would have contributed to my personality. What I like about the Myers-Briggs is that the Myers-Briggs doesn't care why I'm an ENTP. The Myers-Briggs didn't tell me that I was an ENTP, right? It didn't. It's got this questionnaire that asks a lot of questions that are specifically designed for me to self-report my personality. And nobody's, nobody cares, I, to, to the best of my understanding, why I'm an ENTP. But once I've identified that, okay, you know what? Uh, based on these questions that I've answered, I'm more extroverted. I don't think anybody would debate that. That's just a that's just, that's just true. I'm, I love people. I love to socialize that. There is no question that the E is correct, right? There's some of these other ones. Yeah, I don't know, maybe. And there's also a scale from what I understand too, right? You might be very E, you might be very I, you might be right around in the middle, but you're close enough to E, you get the E. Um, so, right. uh, so I intuitive T thinking P prospecting. And somehow that makes me the debater. But when you sit back, Rose, you know me better than almost anybody. Uh, I am a debater. Yeah, there's no question about that, right? And that's not because of where I, where the sun or the stars were when I was born. That's because of nature and nurture. And somehow I've ended up having uh, a personality that uh, with these four broad categories um, uh, or subcategories of personality, I should say, um, 
make me kind of a little bit like a debater, you know? And so I, I don't think that there's much subjectivity there, right? How much of a debater I am? Sure. How extroverted I am? Sure. There's subjectivity, but, um, it's a pretty objective statement to say, okay, I'm very E on the EI scale. I'm extroverted. That's an objective statement. And it's true. And why? Who cares? Nobody cares. There's no like mysticism or ma- like magical forces that have made me extroverted. We just don't care why I'm extroverted in the Myers-Briggs. Does that make sense? Right. right? Like yeah, I, it, it, totally I'm extroverted does. maybe because of genetics or maybe because of the my upbringing, nature and nurture. But I'm definitely extroverted. I've self-reported with a, with a questionnaire that I'm extroverted. And um, so it's just yeah. saying like, hey, by the way, you're extroverted. So, you know, we noticed you might be more talkative. You know, that's just a yeah. uh, an observation. Well, and so they come to the conclusion that because you're extroverted and all of these other, you know, the NTP part, all the other things. And so how those all there's, I guess four categories with two options each. So that results in uh, 16 different personality types. I looked it up. It's 16. Um, okay. And have, um, anyway, there's more to it. But so the basic idea is that there's um, once you have all these different factors and then how they combine can play out in different ways for different people, but we notice patterns and that's what it's for is noticing patterns, right? Um, and Correct. so that's kind of how I just want to say, like, I agree with you. Your beef that you have astrology is kind of my beef with Western astrology. Like what most people, when they say astrology in the United States, like the vast majority of people, even yoga teachers, when they say astrology, that's what they're talking about. And so when I found I'm more saying this for the podcast than I'm even saying it for you, because I don't know if you care, but I'm going to say it anyway, um, that. Vedic astrology, the system from yoga approaches it more from, um, we're going to look at all the different pieces and it's just a framework and there's just all these different options. And it's even more complicated than the Myers-Briggs. There's more options. It can result in like an infinite number of combinations. And we're going to ask you how that's played out in your life. And really from a psychology standpoint, it's a sense-making tool to just get people to open up in a different way. Um, but then there's fun little things like um, that might play. Okay, so fun fact, under Vedic astrology, Mercury was in retrograde um, during this election cycle, during the whole, almost whole entire time that early voting was happening and it ended on election day. And the last time that happened, do you want to guess when that was? Not really. It was in 2000 in the Al Gore and Bush election. Anyway, so there's just fun things like that, that it's like, hmm, that's true under the Vedic astrology system. But when we're talking about birth chart analysis, which is the piece that's comparable to the Myers-Briggs, um, it's, that's how I approach it, is in the same way that you approach the Myers-Briggs, is like, there's all these things, you know, the birth chart, it just kind of spits out based on when you were born. And it's like, okay, so you have um, this thing you have Rahu in your second house, which Rahu is a planet that represents like, um, I totally picked this one because of our discussion today. Uh, the second house represents finances and Rahu represents like, uh, they call it forward moving karma, but basically it's like you have clearly spent a lot of time trying to understand finances and try and, and poured a lot of your energy and effort into that. So that's like, it's one of those things that Correct. would, under Vedic astrology, it's like, I would guess that to be true for you. And then based on our conversation, it shows true. But that's what I'm saying is it's just general enough that you can pick out little details and kind of like, you know, get like drive. A sure. Yeah. But that, that's where I find fault in it. Right. Is, is, is. Uh, so what's that based on, right? You said something about my second house. I only have one house. I don't have two houses. Um, for the record, I haven't figured out finances to that extent yet. I only have one house. I'm part of the 99 percenters still. But um, I'll get there eventually. I'll have my second house. Um, but no, sorry. All kidding aside. What is this about this? Roku in my second house? Roku. Rahu. That's like the little vacuum cleaner that runs around and, and cleans no, up Roku's your second house. But you're not there. 
What's that? Oh, is the Roku the what's the vacuum? It's the Netflix. It's the thing. I thought, that yeah, that was a little vacuum that runs around and yeah. Anyway, um, so I could be wrong about that, but so, uh, what tells you that Roku Raku is in my second house? How, how did you come up with that? You didn't come up with that. There is some way to objectively measure which of my houses Raku is in. I don't understand this at all. You can tell, but what did you look up? So, so um, I have a software that just spits it out. But basically, so you have your your ascendant or your rising sign. And that's the sign, the constellation that would be right. on the eastern horizon when you were born. So that's what's rising. Okay. Like the sun rises from the east. Um, whatever's on Whatever constellation is on the eastern horizon when you were born. And for you, that's Libra, by the way. Uh, you're a Libra rising. So do with that what you will. Yeah. I don't know. Okay, and so that's based so on my based on that, so birth. The that's based on the time on exactly of exactly the moment when you were born. Yeah. So right. It, okay, that's like based on exactly the, the moment time. that I was born, like three a.m. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's three eleven. Right, so, cool. So <laughs> I want to I want to really take a deep dive there. All right. So what that suggests to people and like, I'm not, I'm not an astrology hater. Skeptic's a great word. What that suggests to people, you can, you know, get really wordy about clarifying this, but there's a connotation associated with that. That's not very wordy. All right. And this is what, this is what it suggests. It suggests that because of where the stars were, some stars were relative to, our star at the time that I was born because of those measurements, if you will, I'm interested in finances. That that's the suggestion. Yes, that is the suggestion. And so let's say that, yeah, I just want to know was a negative. I would just like to know Um, how those two things could be related actually Hmm. you know i'm just gonna leave that at an i don't know and say that the way that i approach it is it's just general enough like so basically with a birth birth chart there's like a million different interpretations and there's like every every little piece like the planet the sign the house every little piece has like just enough general interpretations that when you combine them, like a certain planet in a certain sign or a certain or in a certain house or whatever, that when you combine them, it's like this could play out in several different ways. And I'm going to ask you how that's played out in your life. And it's going to open a conversation and we're going to talk about that some more. And then that's where I it, think it has value. Let's say it's right. Negative. So earlier I say, right, I think exactly. astrology and, has, has value. Right. And that's where it has value. Let me tell you what would make I me not be. Let me tell you what would not make me an astrology skeptic and what I think would make it a lot less, what did you call it, foo-foo earlier in my opinion? Um, What would make it a lot more acceptable, I think, going into the future uh, would be, um, and this isn't a recommendation, okay, this is an observation. What what I think would make it more acceptable is, like no one person's going to be in control of this, right? But if we just dropped the what time an individual was born, right? And then you could just like flip through very much like the 16 different types of ENTP and just be like, oh, okay, so there's these individuals, let's give them a name where Raku's in their second house and they're very interested in finances, right? They believe that if they understand uh, the, the financial opportunities around them, that they can be more happy, right? And they believe, and that's a belief, right? That's not necessarily true, right? People know money doesn't buy you happiness, right? Like you can tell the amount of time that I've invested, uh, pun intended, in finances. I have a personal belief that if I can maximize my earning and saving potential, that it it will be worth that time, that it will make me happier somehow. I, I, whether I know it or not, I have that belief. That's why I've spent so much time doing that. Okay. So you, you, I'd, I'd be scrolling through and say, oh, Def Raku's all, all up in my second house. Okay, that, no doubt, right? And if, if that wasn't tied to like, okay, Raku's in your second house because 
this group of stars was like over here when you were born relative to the sun. That's why you care about finances. I'd be like, dude, all right, hell yeah. Raccoon's totally in my second house. But as soon as you, as soon as you introduce that, it makes it difficult for people who want to understand the reason that things are the way they are around them. It makes it really difficult for people like for me and people like that to take it seriously. And, and I, I, I'm, okay, I think I'm pretty open-minded. And if you could explain to me how the position of the stars relative to our birth time played any, could, could impact us at all, I'd be open to that. And if somebody has an answer about blah, blah, blah with energy, that's where I stop listening because people misuse the term frequently. And I think, you know, that's like one of my really big pet peeves yeah. is the misuse of that term. And I know there's a lot we don't understand about energy. Right. But, but when, when people start to really misuse that term and anything they don't understand is energy, you know, that, that frustrates me as I want to understand the world, you know, and like people could state like, well, I believe this and I don't have any reason to, which is normally how, uh, how you state these things, which is great because I can hear that. I'm like, all right, well, if you don't, if you, you tell me earlier, I don't know how they're related, but this is the belief. And now here's where I, why I think it has value. I'm like, you know what? Hell yeah, that makes sense. All right, cool. But some people are just like, that's exactly what a Capricorn would say. And here now I'm finding out I'm not even a damn Capricorn. Right. Well, that, and that's what, like, <laughs> that's where I want to say, like, I'm with you on that. And um, the reason I choose Vedic astrology over Western astrology is because of that reason that. So I'm like, and I want to make this clear, too, because I'm hoping that eventually people will hire me to do their astrology readings. Right. And hopefully those people hear this podcast um, or listen to it, whatever, um, is that I don't I'm at this point, maybe one day I'll have learned all the things there are to know and I'll start wanting to learn about why it's true. But I'm just going to say, like, for my purposes, I don't really care. I just approach it as a way to kind of help people or help myself really right now understand uh, kind of our situations and patterns more deeply. And so then the thing with, with Vedic astrology is that Western astrology is like, Oh, you're uh, a Gemini. So you're an asshole or whatever. You know? And it <laughs> yes. has those things like, that, <laughs> you know, that, this, right. Like, right. Stars yeah. That, my, you're that's, born, so you're just this way. And that's my, this, right. And then, then, in Vedic astrology, it's like, maybe this has played out in your life and it's been a pattern for you, but we're going to use that to direct awareness to not be that way anymore, because that's kind of the whole philosophy behind yoga and all this stuff, right? Is to notice your patterns and direct your energy to break the cycles that you want to break or continue the cycles that you want to continue. Right. Right. So maybe people like you could get on with that. Yeah. Anyway, Rose, I've really got a jet, but I've had such a great talk with you. Okay. Yeah, thanks for your time. This has been a, a really fun talk, man. Oh, so glad. So glad that we did it. Yeah. Me too. And that concludes our first ever interview episode. Thanks for sticking with me this whole time. I hope you learned something. I hope you laughed a little bit. And we'll see you next time. Remember to always keep your feet on the ground, your head in the stars, and stay in the light.